there's a couple of questions. Well, there's one question that I'm going to ask you today. I'm going to be uh, uh, preaching this morning from Genesis chapter 3. If you'd like to turn there and look. And there's a question there is, where are you at? I think the King James is, where art thou? But I wonder this morning, how many of you, uh, how many of you have a burden? And I've already asked, and would you raise your hand again? Let me see that. If you have a burden of some type. Okay, how many of you have a blessing? You know that you've been blessed. And you know, I think every one of us ought to be able to, to raise our hand right there. But this passage of scripture that we look at is kind of a blame game as we look at it. Uh, it's where sin has kind of entered into the world. Uh, chapter 3, verse 1, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God hath made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. Notice how the old devil, he'll quote scripture and it gets real close, but he adds just one word. And when we add to or take away from the word of God, that's, that's a gross sin. For God doth know that in the day there, thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise. She took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of God, the voice of the Lord God, walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? I wanted to stop right there. But uh, this morning, I have a question to ask, and that, that question is, where are you at today? And you might say, well, I'm at Union Valley Church. No, I'm asking, where are you at spiritually? Where are you at in, in this life? Our text is the first record of a convicting question that God the Father posed to humanity. Now, let's be assured, God didn't have to ask that question. I mean, he is omniscient. He's all-knowing. He's sovereign. He's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. And he's omnipresent. He's ever-present. So God did not have to ask that question because he knew, but he asked that question so that man would recognize where he was really at. I ask you this morning, where are you at? And that, that's kind of a disturbing question. You know, we want to say, oh, well, I'm fine, I'm great. We're, we're here, we're just serving the Lord. But really, I want to know, not so much for me, I want you to know where are you really at? And if you ignore the question, that only adds more guilt and confusion and shame to our lives. I don't think you need me here to tell you that we're living in perilous times. We're, we're living in confusing times. It's lonely times. 
The pandemic has changed many of our lives, and we've experienced loneliness and depression and, and uh, isolation and heartache and loss and grief. Many of our church family, we've lost loved ones during this time. We know people that we can all, no longer go see and hold their hands and, and kiss their, their face or hold their hand because we have been separated. The question of where are you, it's been repeated many times throughout Scripture. And I want to just look at three or four, I think about four of them. Then I want to come back to Adam. That's where we are now, but let's leave Adam just for a couple of minutes, and then we'll come back to him. Now, Brother Randall about this time would ask, is it 12 o'clock yet? So, well, I, well, okay, and then it doesn't really matter if it is or not. He seems to go ahead and finish preaching, so I'm going to just go ahead if that's okay. If it's okay, say amen. Okay, I got a hearty amen. We're going now. You got me all cocked and primed. I, wanna, I want us to think about Elijah for a moment. Elijah, in 1 Kings chapter 19, where are you at, Elijah? I think Elijah was a, at a place of being tired and discouraged. In 1 Kings 19, it breaks into a series of amazing events that happened in the life of Elijah. A few years earlier, Ahab had become the king, and Ahab was the most wicked king that had ever presided over, over Israel. And along, if the wicked king wasn't enough, he had a wife. And that wife's name was Jezebel. Ahab, he, been, he began promoting idol worship. Uh, and, uh, and Elijah told Ahab that there would be no rain on the earth. He was going to speak and there wouldn't be any rain for three years. And so God held back the, the rain for three years. And I want to tell you, things got tough because Elijah was speaking God's word and he was being a witness for him. Now a lot of people say, well, when you get to be, become a Christian, everything goes right. I'm going to tell you, no, that's not right. There will be things that will start going wrong for you you could have never imagined. But we need to realize whose we are and who we are serving. And so there's going to be discouragement in our lives. And if I'd ask, is there anybody here discouraged? And you don't have to raise your hand, but I would, I would presume that there's several people here this morning that there's some form of discouragement that's in your life. There are a lot of us, we just get tired. And, and you know, Lord, I, I don't know. It's just hard to go on. But, well, the, the end of the story is Elijah, all the good things that he had done, he crawled up under a broom tree or a juniper tree and he said, God, just let me die. You may have been to that place where you're so discouraged, you're so tired. Lord, just let me die. Why does the Lord let you keep on living? Well, the Lord's not through with you. He's sovereign. He knows the beginning from the end. And Elijah, he had called on Israel and its king to repent. But you know, when you start getting close to people and asking them to repent, you're kind of getting on their nerves. You're getting on another side of them that they don't want you to be on. They don't want you to know or think that anything might be wrong with them. But Queen Jezebel, she had got, uh, you know, a very wicked woman. She had, uh, she had got very angry and she swore to, uh, to Elijah, you're going to die. You're going to die uh, before the morning. And so Elijah, he, 
he fled into the wilderness and he got under that juniper tree. He was tired. He was discouraged. And he said, it's enough, O Lord. Take away my life. I don't know if any of you have ever been close there. I think I might have been close a time or two, very discouraged, maybe depressed. Probably there's more people like that than what we'd even want to admit even in our congregation. But you know, God's not finished with us yet. He's still got a work that he wants to do. Sometimes discouragement makes us feel like we've been broken or hindered or destroyed or, or crushed even in our prime. Lord, I was out there doing the very best I could do and I'm all tripped up now. I don't, I don't know what's going on. It might be a family relation that's, that's going on that discourages you. I'd like to think that everybody that goes to church at Union Valley, you've just got a perfect family. Everyone's happy. Everyone's serving the Lord. But I can tell you in my family, it's not always like that. I want you to know that I've had some discouragement with my family. I've had some heartache. It's easy to hear and observe the powerful messages and, and, and demonstrations of ministry that Elijah did. But you know, we need to get on the other side of Elijah and we need to see the heartache. We need to never forget that sometimes we also experience discouragement in our Christian walk. There's fear, there's brokenness that we might, might have. And there's that constant spirit uh, in our lives of, of that spirit of Jezebel. And it may not be from another woman. It might be from a situation. It could be from a whole host of things. But churches and believers, we are not immune from discouragement. Do you think Jesus ever got discouraged? I think that he might have. You know, when he went to the garden to pray and he said, Would you all go with me? And they, Peter, James, and John, they went with him a little bit. And then he looked up. He was praying, looked up. What were they doing? They was asleep. I mean, they were asleep. Jesus is telling them, I'm fixing to give my life. I'm going I'm to do the Father's will. Would you go with me? And, and the, it happened a couple of times. And then it says, he went a little bit further. And aren't you glad Jesus went a little bit further? Aren't you glad that he went ahead and submitted himself to the will of the Father and he gave his life? And I'm telling you, if Jesus could, uh, he set the example for us. And, and there's others all throughout the scripture. They've set the example. And we need to commit ourselves. We need to keep on going. And when discouragement comes, we need to call on heaven to bring relief to us. We was watching at our house. We like to watch Mike Huckabee every Saturday night. And last night, he, he ended his show. He said, we are living in a very discouraging time. And he said, what we need to do is quit watching so much news. Amen? I mean, we watch a lot of it. And you know what? We're going to believe a lot of it. And most of it's probably not even true. I don't care which side of the aisle you look at. It's a lot of it's fabricated. But he said, don't watch the news. Enjoy a meal at the table with your family. Go out at night and look at the stars. Read a book. Listen to some music. Get in your car and drive around. Just... Get away from those things that have, have magnetized us and, and got us to look at how discouraging life really is. I want to tell you something. Life is a little bit discouraging, but God is still in control. Amen? He never has lost that. Then there's another gentleman that we look at in the scripture. 
And that was Brother Jonah. Y'all remember Jonah? Uh, yeah. And, and you know, he was told to go to Nineveh. And he said, I'm not going to go to Nineveh. Nineveh, those Assyrians, I don't, I'm not going. I'll get on a ship and I'll go to Tarshish. I'm going to go the opposite direction. Now, I know nobody here has ever gone the opposite direction of what God wanted you to do. But let's look at Jonah just for a moment. Now, even though Jonah defiled what God told him to do, you know, he's one of only four of the uh, prophets that Jesus mentioned in, in the New Testament. Isaiah was one, uh, Daniel and Zechariah. But Jonah received more than just an honorable mention. Jesus used him to illustrate his death and his burial and his resurrection. You know, Jesus identified him, uh, the prophet's three-day journey into the belly of that fish. And that represents Jesus being in, in the earth, in the tomb for three days. And so Jesus used that and to speak of his own death when he went into the heart of the earth. And Jesus identified the prophet in his lowest point of pain. How would you like to be in that great fish's belly, all the seaweed and everything, and, and be down there? And then you get vomited up. I think Brother Randall might have mentioned that last week. But, but you know, that's, that's where he was. And the Hebrew writer teaches us that Jesus had to be made like his brethren in all things that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest. We often think, well, Jesus was the Son of God. He didn't suffer anything. But you know, that's contrary to what the Scripture says. He suffered all things like we do, yet without sin. That was the difference. Yet without sin. The book of Jonah, it stands as a very important link in the prophetic chain. It gives readers a glimpse of the death of Jesus Christ and of the resurrection uh, hundreds of years before it actually took place. And yet what was in the Old Testament was an illustration of what was coming to be in the life of our Savior. When the call of God came to Jonah, he couldn't see beyond his own selfish desire. I don't like the Assyrians. I hate the Assyrians. I'm not going to go. Have you ever told God you weren't going to go? You ever told God you weren't going to do something? Has God ever asked you to do something that was very uncomfortable to you? You know, we've got to get out of our comfort zone. You know, we need to understand that we're kept by God in, in His promise and we're in His hand. And I want to tell you something. When God asks us to do something and we decide we don't want to, here's a little clue for you. God always wins. He's never lost. He's always going to win. Jonah had to learn something about the mercy of the Lord through his journey on that ship and through the shipwreck and as that great fish and as he was vomited back up on the land. And because of God's supreme power, only God decides where to pour out his salvation and his mercy according to John or Jonah chapter 4 verse 11. So there was Jonah. He was confused and, and he was determined, although his determination was not in the right way. Where are you today? Are you confused? Are you determined? 
Is your determination in the right way or is it in the wrong way? Then I want to go back just a little bit. I want us to think about Job. Now, there wasn't a better man on all of earth than Job. I mean, uh, Job is believed to be the oldest book of the Bible. And the subject of the book is about the pain and suffering that one of God's own went through. So Job, where are you at? Job might have said at one time in his life, I'm in pain. He might have said at one time of his life, I'm in suffering. I meet people every day through the business I'm in that are in physical pain. I meet people all the time who have mental pain and anguish in their lives, who are suffering, pain and suffering. It's a popular subject today because of the human experience and because there's a lot of pain and suffering in the world today. You can look in the newspapers. You can listen to the prayer request. You can watch the news if you want to go ahead and do that. You can listen to Christian radio or Christian TV and you can hear people share their burdens. There's a lot of pain and suffering. Right now in our world, maybe more than any other time, there's more pain and suffering that there's ever been. It's physical, it's emotional, it's trauma, it's heartache, it's illness. And ours is a life of suffering. Think about it. When a baby is born, how do they enter the world? Crying. I mean, there's something wrong. They enter the world crying. And we think, oh, what a beautiful sound. But that's the, the sound of suffering, even as they come from the womb. As we walk through the world, we see affliction. There's affliction every place that we go. As we leave the world in death, one writer put it this way, man is born for trouble as sparks fly upward. Who offered this insight? Job's testimony was words that were dripped in pain and suffering. And these words came from Job's own mouth. Job was a blessed man, though. You know, a lot of times we say, well, poor me, I've lost everything that I have. But you know, the rest of the story is Job got everything back, more than it was several fold back that he received. In my life, I don't think I've ever seen more pain and suffering and discouragement and confusing. And the pain of suffering of loved ones who have an addiction, the pain and suffering of those seeing uh, that have have physical ailments or diseases, the pain and suffering due to the loss of hope or separation. Let me assure you, though, Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So if you're in that position, just remember the promise of God. Has he ever broke a promise? Absolutely not. Break one promise, they'd all be broken. You know, if we've sinned one sin, we're, we're guilty of all. So just let me assure you, the Lord will never leave you or forsake you. Then let's go over to the New Testament just for a minute. And let's look at Paul. Paul, or it was Saul, Saul the sinner and Paul the preacher. What a change was made in his life. You ever felt like, man, I'm just the worst of all sinners? I mean, we wouldn't go and... You know, in a testimony service, hey, I'm the worst of all sinners. But we might think it in our life. We think we know ourselves better than anyone else. That may or may not be true. But Paul, he knew that he was the worst of all sinners. 
Or he said that. He was a murderer. He was a legalist. He, he was a bad person. Let me read to you from Philippians. Let me give you his pedigree. Though I might have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof, he might trust in the flesh, I more. Listen to this. I circumcised on the eighth day of the stock of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church, uh, touching, the right, uh, touching the righteousness, which is the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do not count them but dung, that I may win Christ." And be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Now if anyone had the credentials of being A-OK, I guess it was Paul. I mean, there he was, tribe of Benjamin, circumcised the eighth day, Hebrew of the Hebrews. He was a Pharisee. Jesus didn't have much good to say about the Pharisees, but he, he was counting all those things that he had done. And he said, all of those things I count as nothing. They didn't amount to anything. A man that was once known as Saul of Tarsus, he was a violent tormentor. He was a murderer. But God stopped him in his tracks on the road to Damascus when that blinding light, and he turned his life around. I think that at that time that the Lord might have said, Saul, where are you at right now? And immediately he knew who was speaking to him. Then let's go back to Genesis. Let's look for a minute at Adam. I think that Adam, there's several things that we could say about him. I think Adam was naked and afraid. I think he was surprised and I think he was disappointed. Notice there as we go on, Adam blamed Eve. Eve blamed the serpent. These are consequences. The serpent was cursed. Woman had greatly multiplied sorrow in conception and birth. And Adam was going to have to deal with thorns and thistles and Man and woman, Adam and Eve, they were cast from the Garden of Eden. But notice in verse 21. And I always like when there's kind of a phrase or a thought, but God. You know, it looked bad. Adam blamed Eve. Eve blamed the serpent. The serpent was going to have to crawl on the ground. Woman have trouble with birth and have pain. Adam's going to have to deal with thistles and thorns. But unto Adam also and his wife did the Lord make coats of skins and clothe them. There was a blood sacrifice that was made so they could have the consequences of their sins covered. And I want you to know, it doesn't matter where you're really at today. There's been a blood sacrifice. Jesus died on the cross of Calvary and there's not a single sin that he cannot forgive. There's not a single sin that he's not willing to forgive. 
You know, it's appointed unto man once to die, and after that the judgment. And God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come unto repentance. I'm going to ask that searching question once again that I asked at the beginning just a few minutes ago. Where are you? Where are you? Are you naked and afraid like Adam was? Are you undone because you've never called on the name of the Lord? We think that everybody that comes to church, we think, well, everybody here is saved. But there's been several instances in my ministry when someone that you just knew was maybe the best Sunday school teacher or, or the best person always there, they'd come and they'd confess, I've never really been saved. And you know what? The Lord would save them right there. You know, they had to get, get over a little ego. They had, to, they had to admit, maybe I was wrong or I was wrong. But anyway, you can be saved. The scripture says, boast not thyself of tomorrow. And boy, this last year, how real has that become to me? I mean, we've lost two close family members within 60 days. My dad, that wasn't quite a surprise because he was on up in years. He had had a lot of surgeries, a diabetic. And I actually, I could actually praise the Lord for taking him. No more suffering. Then 60 days later, my brother-in-law was killed on a motorcycle accident way too young. And I know there's other people that I've been. I've been to several funerals of people that I've known just in the last, in the last few weeks. But I want you to know, we cannot wait and say, well, I'll, I'll take care of this next week. Where are you at right now? And what are you going to do about it? Maybe you're a sinner or a saint like Paul. I hope it's the latter. I hope you're saved by the grace of God. And I hope you're not still in, in that where you're really opposing God. Maybe it's like Job. There's pain and suffering in your life. But I want you to know that Jesus is our healer. He's our divine healer. It doesn't matter what comes or what situations in our life. Jesus is still the healer of that. Maybe you're like Job. There's pain and suffering. Or maybe you're just confused and determined like Jonah. Maybe you're going in the wrong direction. I want you to know today you can change that direction. You can start going the other direction. Jesus said, come unto me all you that, that labor and are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart. And you shall find rest unto your souls. That question once again. Where are you at? I'm going to pray, then we're going to have a verse of invitation. And I don't know where you're at today. Maybe you're really where God wants you, right in the very center of His will. And that's great. We ought to be asking God to keep us there, keep steering us correctly. Maybe there's someone here that needs to be saved. You've never called on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe there's someone here that's just confused. Maybe there's someone here that you've got a lot of pain and suffering and I just can't take it anymore. I want to tell you, we can take all of our burdens to the Lord.